Hola, hola, chulas. Hi there. We are experts in intuitive eating for on-again, off-again chronic dieters, and we are here to help you take the guilt and stress out of eating so you can become the first in your family to break the diet cycle, just like we are in our families. We want you to be who you are without food guilt. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, No More Guilt for Melissa and Your Latina Nutritionist for Delina. Are you ready? Let's break the diet cycle. Hola, hola, chulas. Hi there. Woo, I am so excited today because we are recording an episode with Suzanne Johnson. She is the Associate Medical Director of a clinic in Camden, New Jersey, and she is a family nurse practitioner, and she's freaking amazing. I actually know her personally, although I effed up in the stories and said I did it because mom brain, I forgot that we have actually met. She forgot she knew you. I know, but no, I knew I knew her. It's just I forgot <laughs> the time that we met because we're constantly talking about getting ice cream and then we never did it and then freaking COVID happened. So I was thinking in my head, like, we never got the ice cream. You found your way to each other anyway. I'm glad for that. It's fine, but she's amazing. But Suzanne, will you introduce yourselves? Yes. Hi. I, my name is Suzanne, Suzanne Johnson. I am a family nurse practitioner. I have been practicing as a nurse practitioner for the last five years, and I've been a nurse for the last decade. I am also the associate medical director of a federally qualified health center in Camden, New Jersey, and our focus is on serving um, homeless populations. Incredible Amazing. work. Amazing. Amazing. So Suzanne, today we asked our, our followers um, just what kind of questions they wanted to ask someone who's a healthcare provider, also um, in the lens of health at every size and intuitive eating. And so we have a few questions that our listeners um, had for you. And so the first one, and I think, you know, the one that I get asked the most about is can you talk a little bit about weight stigma and healthcare and how can our listeners navigate this issue with their healthcare provider? Sure, I'd love to. I myself have had a lot of experience with weight stigma within the healthcare center, within the healthcare system, as I identify as a fat bodied individual and pretty much have been in a larger body since adolescence. And so this is something that started for me around that time with my pediatrician. We have a lot of weight stigma within healthcare because most of the guidelines, the practice guidelines that we as healthcare providers, whether you're a physician or a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner, the guidelines that we follow are often based off of our view of health from a purely weight-based perspective using the BMI scale, which we know is a wildly ineffective tool for measuring health. Um, I also think that it's really easy as a healthcare provider when you are having a difficult time figuring out what is the cause of someone's pathology or their complaint whether it be a chronic pain issue or fatigue, sort of those general symptoms that people come in with that could be caused by just 
so many things out there. The tendency is to, to ask patients, what are you eating? Are you exercising? And, you know, maybe you would feel better if you lost weight. Mm. And the suggestion is that people in smaller bodies or, you know, in lower weight bodies are inherently healthier, which we know is not true. And so I think it's just really easy for a provider to, if so, especially this is so common with chronic pain, um, or musculoskeletal pain, someone comes in with knee pain or back pain and, and they are a little bit above the normal BMI range mm -hmm. and, or they're in a larger body. And so the thought is, well, if you lose weight, then <laughs> you will have less weight to lug around and therefore you won't have pain in your joints. And and that's not necessarily accurate. And it's also really detrimental to the care of an individual because this is how really significant health issues get missed in people. Yeah. In a former life, I've worked in weight-centric care and I can't tell you how disappointed clients would be when they did lose weight for a short period of time and the pain was still there. Mm -hmm. You know, they felt really kind of challenged by that, particularly when orthopedists or others are saying, you know, we can't even do surgery until you lose this Ugh. weight. Or So yeah. that really just struck a chord with me because I know we did an episode with Danny Shapiro, who was a physical therapist who validated some of this from his lens as, as a mm -hmm. PT. Um, it's just, I think it's such an important thing to repeat for our audience that, you know, the source of pain is, is, is needs to be investigated. Yes. It, weight loss is not the first line of defense. It's not any defense at all. Yeah. And, and to echo what Danny said, why do we have to wait to address the pain until this quote unquote weight loss happens? That if if you're going to try it, it could take months for for you to see any type of change, right? And during that time, you're going to be in pain. So why not just address it from the beginning? I definitely agree with that. We just had a discussion on one of our um forums for the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health, ASDA, mm -hmm. there was a colleague who was asking about recommendations for providers who would do knee replacement surgery on patients with a certain BMI, I think in the Baltimore County area. And so looking at the literature to see how this uh, provider could help her patient advocate so that that individual could get the care that they need. And specifically within orthopedists, orthopedics, I've seen this a lot with my own patients where someone will desperately need a joint replacement or other treatment, and they will be told that they have to reach a certain weight. I've had people lose even a hundred pounds and still be denied for surgery. So we need to really what that speaks to is the reputation of the surgeon and, and so feeling that there will be worse outcomes for certain groups of patients and that then that reflects poorly on their surgical center. And so really it comes down to dollars. Always. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so do you have any advice for 
our listeners that might be going through something like this and, and dealing with some of the stigma from their provider? I would say that the first thing you should know is that you can always fire your primary care provider. You are not beholden or obligated to see an individual. Now, this might be a little different if you have Medicaid or Medicare insurance, which will often match you with a provider that's in the your sort of uh, zip code. But even within that, you can you can change whomever shows up on your card when you get it in the mail. So one thing I encourage people to do is to interview a potential primary care provider. You definitely want to have a primary care provider. So primary care is working on those just day-to-day -day nuts and bolts of of care, especially preventative care, so that we can hopefully keep you healthy and avoid things like cancer and chronic illness. And they're also someone who can advocate for you if you need to see a specialist for any other reason. And oftentimes, many insurance companies will require a referral from your primary care doctor. So it's you know, the, the person who's in, supposed to be in your corner and on your team. So you should feel free to ask questions of any practice that you're thinking of going to for medical care. Um, you know, what you can ask about the backgrounds of the providers. What do they have a diverse, are their providers diverse in terms of race or ethnicity, gender, sexuality? Well, sexuality, you might not know, <laughs> might not be readily apparent or talked about, but um, I know that there are practices that will say that they are queer competent or things mm -hmm. like that. So you can ask about that. You can ask about policies around weight. Can you refuse to be weighed? There's really no distinct medical reason why we would need to weigh someone at every single visit. Insurance companies are finicky because they buy into weight stigma and they want providers to have patients who have a BMI within a certain range. That's totally unrealistic <laughs> in the long run. But you can achieve that by weighing somebody once a year and you can do a blind weight. You don't need to share that number with them. You can ask about visit summaries. D does that information print out on a visit summary? Because nothing is more devastating than going to your visit and, and having the courage to say, hey, please don't weigh me. This is not necessary for my medical care today. And then they do either they don't weigh you or they do a blind weight and then it shows up on that piece of paper wow. that they give you. That's yeah. just the worst. That's happened to me and you know, then you don't, do not feel good that whole ride home. Yeah. So yeah. definitely interviewing and asking questions. Do they follow evidence-based care? Who are the providers that they refer to? Are they open to alternative and complementary medicine practices? Um, do they do procedures in the office? So if you are having a joint pain issue ever, can you get a quarter co-steroid injection in the office or is that somewhere you do you have to go somewhere else and what is their facility with any medical conditions that you may already have in term that could be chronic mm. those are really oh, helpful questions. yeah and I think that's yeah. what 
you know, the, the best antidote to anxiety is sometimes having a plan. <laughs> so if, <Yeah. laughs> if you feel some kind of way about speaking up on this, Suzanne's just laid out some really actionable steps. One thing that I, I love is this idea of just taking a step back before you even get there and imagine like, what do you want this visit to be like? What's important to you? Can you for yourself highlight what's that one takeaway you want from the visit that's going to inspire you to follow through on what you're talking about? So I love that those steps that you offered. Yes, I, I agree. And I, I agree with what you said about, you know, getting weighed blindly and then having it show up. I have so many clients tell me that that's happened to them before because again, they didn't listen to their request or they didn't even know that it was going to print out um, mm. on the paper. So the, the next question is if someone does not want to be weighed, right? They want to either not be weighed or they want it to be blindly how can they go about it asking their nurse or asking the doctor? Do you have any tips of what they can do or say either prior to the appointment or during the appointment so that they're prepared? Of course, I definitely do. So in most modern medical practices, you should anticipate that the first person you're going to interact with is going to be a medical assistant or a nurse who is going to bring you back to the room and take your vital signs and ask you preliminary questions about your health and your social history, family history, why, why you're there. We call that the chief complaint. So this is the person whom you want to say, listen, I do not want to be weighed today. You don't need to give an, a reason for why. <laughs> You don't need to ask. You don't need to say, can you not weigh me today? You just need to say, I would prefer that I not be weighed today unless it is medically necessary. Now, if it's medically necessary, let's say that at the end of the visit, you've met with the provider who is managing your medical care and they need to prescribe a medication that is weight-based, which is really very rare in adulthood. So usually it's necessary <laughs> so for important, so important to know this. But let's just say, let's think, maybe think about something like um, you have a sluggish thyroid or what we call hypothyroidism. The recommendation for that medication is that we dose it based upon a person's weight. Mm -hmm. So at that point, if I don't have an, a recent weight on someone, I might as a provider then say, I need to get a recent weight on you. Are you comfortable with that? And we're happy to do it blindly so that you don't see that information. Um, so, but really you should start with that initial person because I have to say as an actual provider, I never weigh my <laughs> patients. So, <laughs> So if you wait, if you if you're holding this in for the actual doctor, um, then you're going to miss your golden moment. Mm -hmm. There are some pretty unique materials out there. You can get uh, cards, mm -hmm. little fitness cards that that sort of have uh, your boundaries on them. Um, but you you can write down sort of your goals for the visit. Sometimes it helps to have those on hand if you feel like you might become really nervous or feel intimidated in that environment. Pre-COVID, I would say that you could also consider bringing an, a friend or family member or someone else who you feel could help to advocate on your behalf if you feel 
really nervous about the situation. It, that's a little bit hard with the pandemic because a lot of offices are not allowing right. um, other individuals. Extras. <laughs> yeah, extras, <laughs> unless they're a caregiver. So right. that's I think this I is so helpful. And I just no, want to make, make a plug for maybe people listening to this who are in smaller bodies, who don't have a triggered experience around getting weighed. As allies, you too can normalize this behavior by, by mm -hmm. asking for this. And so um, this was inspired by Heather Kaplan, who runs the account RD Real Talk, talked about in her pregnancy, actually doing that and asking for blind weights. And so, you know, the more that we can normalize this and get providers feeling normal and comfortable with it, the easier it is for everybody to have this kind of experience at the doctor's office. Yes, for sure. I also, as a provider, make it my policy to, when I look at vital signs, I don't, I will comment on things like blood pressure or heart rate if necessary, but I will never say to someone, oh, your weight is, or your weight looks good today, or you've lost mm. weight, or you've gained weight. And some patients are upset about that because they want, they want to uh, positive feedback if they <laughs> perceive that they've lost weight. Um, and so I've had to navigate feedback around that. So often what I will say is, you know, how do you feel about your vital signs today? Or how do you feel about your blood pressure today? Or did you get weighed today? How are you feeling about that? How are you feeling about your health today? How are you feeling in your body? Are you having any pain? Questions like that. But I don't make any judgment type comments. And I try to remain, I consider it a position of neutrality. So yeah. I know the health at every size moniker is, is, is a bit controversial right now because there's this feeling that so much of that and body positivity has really been co-opted. But I think if you're a healthcare provider, it's really the only thing that signifies to the wider public that you practice with this yeah. philosophy. Yes. So I try to aim for a weight neutrality and discuss that with people in a way that neither um, sort of criticizes or applauds them for yeah. anything specific. And I think people who want that praise in the moment around weight loss, I have many clients who tell me like, it was so hard for me when I got that praise. And then when I regained my weight, I had to carry that memory of that praise and it made that experience that much more difficult for them. So I think that's extremely thoughtful as a medical provider. Um, it may feel disappointing in the moment, but overall it has everyone's best interests at heart to really neutralize your relationship with weight in your body. Or you find out someone's been doing something really crazy yeah. <laughs> that is actually a very disordered behavior to achieve that reduction in weight. And I, and that's, I think we talk about this a lot. I know Delina has talked about it on her page, but you know, when you voluntarily compliment someone's perceived weight loss, you don't know what you're complimenting. Mm -hmm. You don't know if you're complimenting someone who's been skipping meals or purging or over-exercising or who is depressed or had a miscarriage or anything like mm -hmm. that. So um, I, I really try to never go that route with people and try to more elicit feelings about how they feel in that moment. So and that's great. It really matters. Thank you for that. That's amazing. I'm so glad you're out there <laughs> doing this work. And I think a lot of people listening probably are breathing like, oh, wow, that's encouraging. 
um, and your, your advice to interview people. I hope people find providers like you because you're so needed. Yes, for sure. And and I'm so happy that we have you on here because it's coming from a perspective of someone that's actually doing this work every single day, right? A, a medical provider that's actually trying to destigmatize healthcare, um, not only by working, you know, with homeless people, which is a whole other, <laughs> we could have a whole nother conversation on their needs and, and how we can, you know, navigate the systemic issues in our healthcare. Um, but just hearing it from you, I know that our listeners are going to feel so much better to, to be a little bit more assertive when they go to the, the doctor's office. Cause I hear that a lot. Like I'm afraid to speak up. I'm afraid to say these things. Um, but you're giving them the, okay. You <laughs> work for you. So. <laughs> I say that all the time. <laughs> all right. So the last question we have for you, um, is specifically around, you know, listeners and bigger bodies whose bodies who are afraid of health at every size or intuitive eating, how is going to affect their health? Um, and and really, you know, things like their their blood pressure, their blood sugars, um, from your take as a as a healthcare provider, not as dietitians like Melissa and I are. What is your take on health on every size and intuitive eating when it comes to bigger bodies? I think that it definitely is scary because the way that society conditions us is that we learn that if we're in a bigger body, we will automatically have things like diabetes or hypertension or high cholesterol or chronic pain. I think the COVID pandemic has done a great job in pushing that agenda. I cannot count on one hand the amount of times I've heard, you know, that people who are in larger bodies are more likely to die from COVID-19 or Black individuals who are in larger bodies are mm -hmm. more likely to die of COVID-19 without looking at any social determinants of health or um, systems of oppression. So I have a variety of patients that I've seen over five years in practice as a nurse practitioner. And I have very thin bodied patients who have chronic conditions, hypertension and diabetes and high cholesterol. I have larger bodied patients who have the same things. And I have thin-bodied patients who don't have those things and larger-bodied patients who don't have those things. So I can't look at you in the office and look at your body and say, you will not have any of these chronic conditions because you are in a thinner body. That's just not how it works. Nor can I promise you, if you are in a larger body, that if your weight is reduced and you are then in a smaller body that then you will no longer have these conditions. That's a really false promise. Health is so multifactorial and there's a whole host of genetics that we're still figuring out and family history and social determinants like stress and trauma, exposure to violence. What's your proximity to a grocery store? Mm -hmm. Do you have mental illness? Just so many things that can affect 
whether or not you have hypertension or diabetes or asthma or things of that nature. Yeah. What I can say is that regardless of your body size, we can manage those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? um, I often have patients say, wait, 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 just let me, let me lose 30 pounds before you put me on a blood pressure medication. And I respect that because the idea of there's a huge cognitive dissonance that happens within people's brains when they think about how they perceive themselves versus discrete data that they're getting back from like measurements like vital signs. And so it doesn't always compute for them that this is me with this high blood pressure and I probably need medication. But as you referenced earlier, Delina, like why do we need, why should we wait to treat something. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about risk reduction and harm reduction, I often try to come from the standpoint of, I think any, if you want to try out any health promoting behaviors, whether that's changing your daily nutrition, adding in some physical activity, working on quitting smoking, any of those things, that's great. But in the meantime, we should still address the problem so that you are not remaining at increased risk for a catastrophic event. And if there's a time at which we can remove that treatment successfully, then that's great. Right. And, right. and that's possible for some individuals. So I try to come from the perspective of that it doesn't matter what size body you're in, we can treat and manage chronic conditions you can engage in health promoting behaviors, even if you're in a larger body. I'm really into jazzercise right now. <laughs> I do it. <laughs> Are you in the eighties? <laughs> yeah. I do it at home in my living room. Um, I do strength training. I enjoy cooking a good meal, but I know what the perception of my body is. It's that I'm sitting on my couch in front of Netflix 36 hours a day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> drink like more than a day, more than 24 hours in a day, yeah, right. 36. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's so, it's so strong. I had a, a client call an inquiry for her, for their child. And she says, look, we're not that kind of family. That's doesn't understand nutrition. We're not eating junk. We eat, actually, we've been told we eat very, very healthy. And I, I just, my heart sank because I knew what she was trying to do was to say, look, like, I've done all the things that people have said to, to me before. I'm not, I'm not the person you think I am. It breaks my heart that people are not really asked, what, yeah. what are you about? What's your deal? What do you do? Yeah. What do you care about before they're judged? Yeah. Also, with regard to children, if they're anywhere near puberty, so age 10 on up, sometimes this goes younger, they are going to gain weight and their bodies are going to go through a major metamorphosis and it scares <laughs> the bejesus out of parents yeah because they're like you went from my cute tiny peanut to <laughs> little cheeks but you've got acne and you're talking back and you're moody and you're sleeping all the time and you're eating me out of house and home and i'm buying new clothes every six months and they just want to stop it but it's like their bodies will do what they need to do yeah and come out the other side, just yeah, the trust piece. Yeah. But if we, when we mess it up in the middle of that and then create wildly disordered behaviors, you don't come out well on the other end. And if, no. then it becomes a lifelong struggle. So I, I would, there's no guarantee 
that you won't have illness in a smaller body and there's no guarantee that you will in a larger body. I encourage everyone to participate in some kind of joyful movement that's accessible to them, even if that's vacuuming their living room to their favorite music. Because let's be real, like most, a lot of people in society just, they are not gonna have access to gyms or classes or playgrounds or even a block that's safe to walk around. So we need to normalize movement in any small form. Yes, I agree. And I always tell all of my clients about my dad who hates wearing sneakers because he's Dominican. And <laughs> what's that about? It's just not like because elevated. He's like, I grew up barefoot and oh. I like to walk around barefoot and he likes to wear like 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 Sandal? sandals. And he likes stuff. okay, like, he likes them yeah, to breathe. He likes I see. and he likes like, you know, like loafers and stuff. He hates I like that about him. Good for him. Yeah. He's like, I hate sneakers. I don't wear them. Plus he thinks he's a fashionista when whatever he's, I'm not going to get into that. Not, not part of this conversation, but he hates sneakers. So he (laughs) does not like going outside and walking. So he literally walks inside the house. So he will go from one end of the dining room to the front door, tap the door, go to the dining room, tap the table. And the kids are behind him like little ducks. And he does that (laughs) sometimes for an hour. I have videos of this and he is just like nonchalant, just like walking in there. Sometimes he goes up the steps or whatever. And my mom does not jazzercise, but as she's watching El Gold y la Flaca, y'all know what I'm talking about. She has (laughs) her little weights and she just like, what's in place and I crack up because like they you really don't and you know Suzanne and I live in the Philadelphia area where it is just not accessible to a lot of the clients that we're working with here to to do to go outside or go to the gym or even have access to food and so I always tell people you have to do what you can with what you have. Camden is definitely filled with bodegas but the nearest grocery store is probably five or ten miles and you'd have to go by car you could Mm -hmm. maybe go by bus but it would be more than one bus um and i think the closest would probably be there's like an aldi and then there's probably walmart and then there's like wegmans that's further up the road which mm-hmm. you know it's just truly unex- inaccessible to a whole host of of people um and food is is really an issue for individuals yeah. and i know one of the so one of the trends that i've been seeing more often in practice is individuals, black and brown individuals coming in asking for referrals for bariatric surgery. Mm-hmm. Because the question I also get is, well, if I just have the gastric sleeve or the sleeve gastrectomy um, or bypass surgery, then I won't have whatever chronic condition I have. I won't have hypertension or diabetes, which is not true per se. From my perspective, once you have this diagnosis, like your body has already been affected. So you kind of always have this diagnosis. Early on after those surgeries, we do notice 
what you might consider a reversal. So people's insulin levels might normalize and their hemoglobin A1C mm -hmm. might normalize and their blood pressure might, and they come off of all this medication. But if you look at the literature, mm -hmm. within five to 10 years, yeah. these problems have crept back in as has weight. Yes. So there's no silver bullet. We can mm -hmm. treat things, we can engage in health promoting behaviors and other things that can reduce our risk for things like heart attack and stroke. Um, but you can't totally eliminate risk. That's right. And so for all of you listening, here are your takeaways. One, you can advocate for yourself, advocate, 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 and find healthcare providers that are going to be working for you and not the other way around. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Two, you can work on health behaviors regardless of your weight to start promoting healthy habits and achieve whatever health means to you, right? At any point in your life. And that means adding nutrition and adding exercise. That feels good and that is joyful. No restriction. <laughs> so those are my two takeaways from this. I was trying to come up with a third, but Melissa- I have one, I have one. I have one, okay. Because I think this is just so, so important. The fear around disease is, is a big one. And I yes. think what you offered that, you know, not, health is multifaceted. Weight does not cause diabetes, hypertension, yeah. and all of these different diseases you've been told to fear. And when you, if you are diagnosed with those diseases, there's always a treatment plan to include always. medication, lifestyle, stress reduction. And so if you fear these things, remembering you can prevent by adopting these behaviors. And if it happens to you, you can work with a provider to manage it and improve it if that occurs. It's not a guarantee that if you're in a smaller body, it won't. Really, really important. Yes, 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 yes. So Suzanne, I, I, we can't thank you enough for being here and answering all of these questions. This has been amazing. And I feel like we could talk about it for another <laughs> 30 <laughs> minutes. Um, but can you tell everyone where they can find you and follow you and see how badass you are at lifting weights? <laughs> FYI. So I <laughs> probably am most active on Instagram because who's not? And I'm a millennial. Um, <laughs> at C S E E Suze S U Z Go G O. So C Suze Go. And that's my little corner of the internet to talk about everything from getting your flu shot to what's going on with the COVID pandemic to reassuring you that there is nothing wrong with the body that you have. Um, so, and I practice in New Jersey. I don't, I get this question a lot. I don't have a private practice. I practice in a community health center. So if you have New Jersey insurance or in the New Jersey area and you need a primary care provider, feel free to hit me up or I'm happy to, um, you know, plug into my network of recommendations for individuals within this tri-state area. It's a huge asset. Thank you yes. for that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Suze. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with y'all. Woohoo. All right, ladies. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
another episode complete. I'm loving getting to know our guests. How about you? Uh, me too, because I just love having other people around. Things are getting pretty lonely, you know. <laughs> quarantine life. <laughs> it's just like, I just need human interaction. <laughs> I said that to someone the other day, like, where was I? I went, oh, I went to the dentist and I was like, it was really nice to like talk to a semi-stranger. I don't know. I haven't talked to like strangers in a long time. It's been just the inner circle of trust. I know. I think a lot of us are craving that, which makes me very curious about your group offer, Delina. What's been going on? Because I see you on Insta promoting this for the Chulas. What's happening in your group offer? Yes, yes. So my groups are six weeks and it's really an intro to intuitive eating, right? So what I notice is that a lot of the Chulas I work with maybe haven't really heard of intuitive eating before, just have you know, a lot of questions about it. So this is just a six week group where we just dive into the principles of intuitive eating. Um, It's really kind of like wetting your feet in a sense um, when it comes to intuitive eating and actually really understanding how we're going to apply it to our culture Mm. um, and how we are going to try to to live a life like this, right? In, in, In every day. And so it's just six weeks. We meet weekly. Um, we have a Facebook group and in the Facebook group, uh, we chat and I post weekly videos and we have weekly discussions. And so it's super quick. Um, but then we have an alumni Facebook group where the chulas that have kind of done this six week with me can then move on and still kind of have the support from one another. Um, And it's really just a great community because everyone is at different levels, but everybody's supporting one another. And so it's just a a great way to keep the conversation going after the six weeks are over. I love how you practice, Lena. This is going to give people like the strong foundation that they need, because I'm going to be honest with you guys, we (laughs) keep getting some (laughs) weird weird questions sometimes about intuitive eating because why everybody and their brother claims they're an expert but really only some of us are and so what I love is that you give space for people to get those questions answered to get the clarity so that they can Mm -hmm. focus on how they want to apply this in their life amazing yeah Uh, so how often do you run these so they run every six weeks so like I said it's just like you know a little a little get together every <laughs> every every couple of weeks um and then we get to support each other afterwards and then you know they can choose to continue to work with me in other in other ways but this is just a little intro where they can you know kind of get started amazing i'm so glad you built that so fabulous how can people apply if they want to learn more yes so the link is in my bio so you can go to your dot latina.nutritionist and check out the deets in there or you can dm me i am always trying to keep up with my dms you always respond to me very promptly which i appreciate so dm delina she'll get back to you maybe not immediately because she's talking to me (laughs) yes um and then yeah you could definitely just ask any questions i always um let everyone know like i want to make sure that i am answering all your questions so that you make a decision that's right for you Beautiful. Awesome. Well, thanks for letting me know what you've been up to. Yeah, no problem. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being who you are. We'll see you next time. Peace, love, and break the diet cycle.